Welcome to the second episode of Squawk Talk, a Sports Talk ATL podcast on the Atlanta Hawks. I'm joined by my co-host, Christian Salvador. JJ couldn't be here with us this week, but, uh, you know, we had a rough one last night. Uh, I, I think we're up 57-44 at half after Trey Young's clutch bucket in game one. And I think we're all kind of thinking as Hawks fans, you know, I'm thinking broom. I mean, uh, I'm thinking sweep, sweeps on my mind. I think I knew that those last 24 minutes were going to be the hardest uh, minutes probably of the series because you're almost putting a team away at that point if you, uh, if you can win that half and go up 2-0 going back home where the Hawks are 18-2 and since March 1st. So uh, that, was a, that was really a series-clinching opportunity there early, and they blew it. Uh, dismal shooting performances, question, questionable rotations. But, Christian, I'll start, you know, let you get into it. You know, what kind of was your takeaway from that second game? And, uh, you know, just let's, let's get started with that. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously kind of like bird's eye view, first thing going into it is just Trey Young continues to be Incredibly impressive, um, you know, definitely encouraging as a Hawks fan. Obviously, the result didn't go your way, but, you know, he followed up last game's performance with another with another great one. Um, ultimately, the the problem, of course, ended up not being with him. It, it came down to shot making from, uh, from basically everybody else. Um, you know, uh, along the lines of the game, you kept waiting for the Knicks to respond in the first half, and they never really did. They had a pretty dismal offensive performance in the first half. Hawks were playing solid defense, but the Knicks couldn't hit anything. And then, uh, obviously, the tables turned. Um, you know, when when you get when you're getting as many open threes as the Hawks were getting in the second half, you definitely expect to be able to get out there and uh, and, and put up more than I think it was 35 points in the yeah, second it was half. 35. Uh, yeah, you just you can't have that as a uh, as not only a playoff basketball team, but as a playoff basketball team that identifies on the offensive end. Uh, New York can go out and they can survive having those kind of cruddy offensive halves because they do identify as, as a defensive first team. They do have a solid defense, as we saw in the second half in a lot of ways. Um, but ultimately, you know, the biggest takeaway is that the Hawks, uh, you know, they couldn't shoot the basketball in the second half. Bogdanovich, uh, 2 of 13 from 3 for the full game. Danilo Gallinari, uh, you know, he's just had a pretty brutal back-to-back games. Uh, hopefully he finds a bottom of the net here soon, but yeah, I mean, ultimately not too concerned. I think if you'd have given me uh, before the series started, if you'd have told me the Hawks would go one and one in Madison Square Garden, I'd have taken it immediately and not asked any questions. Um, so I think ultimately, you know, nothing to be too discouraged about. Some stuff that's pretty easily fixable coming up here soon. Yeah, I don't think you can be discouraged because if you look at the box score, you have, like you said, two for 13 from three from Bogdanovich. That's not going to happen, especially when he was getting some pretty good open looks in the second right. half. I mean, listen, I give credit to the Knicks defense. They definitely stepped up and played like a team with their backs against the wall. They're a defensive team. They played probably their best defensive half. But, you know, the Hawks, they're not going to score 35 and a half the rest of this series. I can almost guarantee you that. That was the worst right. shooting performance uh, they've had, you know, in a while. I mean, I think it might be the whole, the whole year. I mean, 35 points. I mean, it was, it was miserable. Um, they lost rhythm there at the end of the fourth quarter. Uh, but I don't think Danilo Gallinari and Bogey are going to shoot four for 22 from three, the whole suit, you know, and <laughs> a half or, you know, in a game. I mean, the fact that we're in a two point game late or tied with five minutes to go where John Collins only played 15 minutes and had zero points. Uh, Danilo Gallinari couldn't hit a damn shot. Bogey couldn't hit a damn shot. You know, Hunter had a pretty good first half, but in the second half couldn't hit a shot. Uh, really the right. second best player, I would say, was probably, I mean, maybe Bogey. He still went eight for 21. He was making some things happen in the first half. But I think Kevin Herter was probably the Hawks' you know, second, or, 
second or third best player in that game. Um, so, and, and all credit to Herter. I mean, he's been very good in both games, probably the best player off the Hawks bench so far, which uh, you expect Gallinari to be, but Herter's stepped up. Um, but I think you can't expect to win a game like that. And the fact that it was even close is actually kind of encouraging. And like you said, if you told me 1-1 one, one, uh, at coming out of Madison Square Garden, 1-1, one, one, you take that all day and twice on Sunday. So it sucks because you felt like last night almost felt like we could really start talking about even the next series. I mean, I know it's, you know, it's not over, but uh, it's that you feel like you had, you had them on the brink and you and you let them go. Right. And, and now game three, you know, you're going to be nervous. I mean, we're going to have some jitters going into that game. Uh, I expect that game to start slow, but uh, you know, I guess I want to talk about some other things, even outside of the game. Uh, first of all, Nate McMillan, the rotations, that was a big talking point after the game. Uh, most importantly, you know, that end of the third quarter, fourth quarter, he decides to shoot, uh, let Bogey and Trey, which I kind of wondered why he did. I feel like the Hawks have done a pretty good job of keeping one or the other on the floor at the same time. Um, he decided he took them out both at the same time. I think about two minutes, 30 seconds left in the fourth or the third. Um, and they don't come back in until about eight minutes. And there was a point with about 10 minutes left. It's a three point game. They've gotten already probably 15 minutes of real time rest, five, four or five minutes of game time rest. Uh, where the you know the Knicks were going balls to the wall for that game, uh, you you think you put them in there, uh, it's 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 probably good in the Hawks' favor. They end up going on a seven zero run. Hawks call a timeout, then they put them in, and now they're down ten. And then you know the Hawks go up and they tie the game four minutes later once Trey Young and Bogey come back in. So you have to wonder if the game you know changes there. And I think the biggest problem that we all have, not that Nate McMillan made that mistake, which I think I think most people can agree that was probably a mistake is that after the game, he's trying to justify it with, oh, they played 35 minutes. Like, dude, that's the playoffs. Like, Derrick Rose's old ass played 39 minutes. Like, come on. Like, like just just admit, I know it's hard for people to make say they made a mistake, and maybe at the time he didn't think it was a mistake, but hindsight 2020, like, you should have put him in right there. Like, there's really no question about it. Uh, and uh, I'm just worried. I'm just hopeful that, that you know, his stubbornness isn't going to translate into the future games, you know. I don't think rotations are a, a perfect science. You know, I think sometimes momentum is just not going your way. I mean, those guys hit one field goal over those four minutes before that first timeout. Right. You, you know, right. you gotta you gotta do something. You gotta put your offensive players in. So I don't think it's a perfect science. Like the first game, you did that, but Lou Williams was hitting shots, so you could let him right. go to the eight, seven, eight minute mark and be okay. This game, nobody was hitting a shot. And they should, and he made a mistake. I mean, that, that's why it's not a perfect science. I don't think the eight or nine minute mark is where like it has to happen. You know, if it's 10 or whether it's seven, you know, it's depending how those bench players are playing. Those guys couldn't hit a damn shot. You got to make a move. And he waited too long and it, and it really might've cost the Hawks the game. Yeah. You know, first off, I want to give a little credit to, uh, to the, to the crew here at Squawk Talk and uh, pretty much perfectly narrowing down who's going to be a part of the rotation. It wasn't, you know, that uh, that wild to make the predictions we did, yeah. but uh, you know, for the most part, I know Chase, you were you were mentioning how you thought Inyeka would at least get a shot. I think we all kind of came there. He has. We were right. What we were probably wrong about uh, <laughs> was that Trey Young and uh, Bogdanovich would play in the same amount of minutes they played during the regular season. Look, I get Clint Capella. I get DeAndre Hunter. Uh, you know, Capella played 36 minutes last night. That's a lot of minutes for him. He's a big guy. Um, DeAndre Hunter played 31 minutes. Frankly, DeAndre did look gassed down the end. I noticed one of the threes that he missed, uh, I'm sure you saw it too, where he kind of like hitched and he was, he was pretty open. Um, yeah. he was, uh, he didn't really look like his normal self, but 
Trey Young and Bogdanovich have no business playing 35 minutes in a in a playoff game, and the game's not must win. It's one one going back. You know, no need to panic in Hawksland. However, it, it definitely would have been uh, it definitely would have been real real nice heading back to Atlanta with a 2-0 lead, and you did have an opportunity to do it. Uh, those guys didn't play well down the stretch. Not not saying that again, like you said, it's not completely on McMillan and the rotations. But I think of it more, like you said, of um, uh, of kind of the the moving forward. You know, and and in this game, it, it really probably ultimately didn't cost them the game. I think it definitely hurt them. But ultimately, the the starters did come back in, and uh, and they couldn't get it done down the stretch. Um, however, if if moving forward, he feels comfortable with uh, 35 minutes for Trey Young, and uh, you know, 35 minutes for Bogdanovich. I'm a little uncomfortable as a, uh, you know, as a Hawk supporter or somebody watching the team, because frankly, Lou Williams and uh, Tony Snell are, are not getting it done off the bench right now in a playoff series. Um, and, I, and I really hope that, uh, that he learned a little bit about this. You know, the other thing that I was thinking about, you know, you're talking about that, that mark where, where you should have put them in. Nate had four timeouts. So not only did, you know, not only did they have five, six minutes, 15 minutes real time of, uh, of rest, but he had four times that he was able to give them a breather. And Trey Young's not in bad shape. And he was about the only hog that had it going offensively. And you need his offense out there going down the stretch. So I think it was a mistake. I don't want to kill him for it. But like you said, I'm much more concerned about the post-game comments than I am the decision-making. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The The post-game comments are, are what I'm worried about because that just can't happen again, especially uh, down these stretch and, you know, as these games become more and more important. Um, but one one other thing I want to talk about, and this has been the whole series, I and I've kind of been surprised about this because we we talked about how good the Hawks' second unit has been, and you know down the stretch here, and that's a big reason why the Hawks have been such a good team. You know they've really gotten killed by the next second unit. I mean, absolutely obliterated. Um, obviously, part of that is Derrick Rose, who's really a starter for them. I don't even really consider him like, uh, right. like you know Burks and uh, what's his name, Quink, Quink. I forget it. Whatever. I mean, Todd Gibson. About. Yeah, Todd Gibson. Emmanuel Emmanuel quickly, sorry, yeah, lost my name, but <laughs> Burks quickly, yeah. um, they've been killing it, and Taj Gibson's come in and really giving them some beef down low. <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, he's killing it on the boards. I, another thing that I've noticed uh, that I, I thought might have been a problem, but I thought Capella would kind of offset, which is really why I thought he might be the MVP of this series, is they've been absolutely dominant down low, even without Mitchell Robinson. They've been get, winning all the 50-50 balls, and maybe that's just being at home, having a little more energy, needing that win more. But I think in both games, they've really owned the paint. Um, and that's going to be a problem if that, that continues to happen. I think that's really the only way they can win. If you can counteract that, uh, they're going to have a really tough uh, time beat, to beating the Hawks. But those are two things that I, I was a little bit surprised about. Not as much the uh, the dominance in the paint, but really how well their bench has performed and you know outplayed the Hawks. And I know Danilo Gallinari not being able to play up to his standards is a big part of that. But I mean, what are your thoughts about that? And, and what do you, you think that's going to be something that continues like going on through the rest of the series? I think it will continue if Nate continues to insist upon playing all five of the bench players together. Um, you know, the something that the Knicks are doing, you know, D Rose goes in there off the bench, but he's playing with starters. Um, you know, you look at the Hogs bench and Kevin Herter, Lou Williams, Tony Snell, uh, Danilo Gagnar, even a Kongu, they're all very fine players in their own right. Um, but there's not a whole lot of creation uh, off that bench that uh, that maybe the Hawks need. Lou Williams is a shot creator, of course, and Kevin Herter can get his own shot every once in a while. Danilo Gallinari, technically, but 
I mean, ultimately, there, there's that unit has to score because none of them are elite level defenders. They're they're outside of Kevin Herter. I would I would and Tony Snell. I would argue that they're all pretty bad right now. Um, so you got to get buckets off the bench. Uh, those are the guys you're putting out there. And I'd like to see some staggering. I know John Collins was in foul trouble. He had issues all game, uh, staying out, staying on the court. But ultimately, I'd like to see a little bit more of him playing with those bench guys. I think he can give them a little bit of that down low. Uh, shot creation that that unit might be missing. Maybe play Tony Snell a little more with the starters as well. Uh, Snell's more of a spot-up shooting guy. Uh, asking him to get out there and, you know, be your third option offensively to actually create something can be a problem. And uh, I think just kind of messing around with the, with who you have out there at the same time, I think, again, the bench players in their own right are fine, but I don't think they're great as a full unit together. And I, and I think it's been a lot of the Hawks' issue. Yeah, I kind of was surprised that that's how Nate's decided. And, I, and, I mean – I don't want to go there because it's one, one, but it's like, you right. start thinking like, Hey, why does this guy never get out of the first round? And is you know, and you start seeing sure. some of these decisions come out. And, and I also don't want to go there because we already know that it's very likely that he is going to have this interim uh, tag removed. You wrote about that before the series, but you know, let's say these, these issues uh, don't go away. Let's say you really, and we, we somehow lose, you know, four, two to the Knicks. And we have a lot of questionable decisions. I mean, you know, is there some second guessing in that department? I think ultimately the Hawks have, have proven, and Trey Young specifically has proven that uh, that after this season, that just simply making the playoffs only are not going to be enough. And Nate McMillan has more than proven that he's capable of getting a team to the playoffs. There is there is no doubt that that he can do everything uh, that you need out of regular season coach. However, I definitely think it's fair to have questions if the Hawks end up dropping this series, and you look back and you have situations where Trey Young plays 35 minutes in a in a game two where he frankly couldn't miss. I mean, Trey Young was four for seven from three. And it, we haven't talked about it much, and it's been pretty well documented other places as well, but he's not having a great year actually shooting the three ball. So when he's got it really going, you, you need to take advantage of that. I mean, you go look at some of the better teams. You look at these teams that, that go out, they do win championships, make deep runs. Their best players are playing 40, 42 minutes a night. And Trey Young yeah. is not the type of player that can't handle it. So I think it's fair to have questions. Um, he's 22. Yeah. 22-year-old, two days off. You know, you just had two days off. You have an off day after this. Like, there's no back-to-backs in the playoffs. Right. I think it's, frankly, horseshit that you're even thinking, you know, 35 minutes or something like that is is enough. And to say that Trey Young was gas, I mean, maybe the rest of the starters were gas. Maybe DeAndre Hunter was gas. Maybe Capella was gas. But Trey Young wasn't gas. And that's really the key here. Right. And you have four timeouts. Like, you have time to rest him during that span. We're not talking about, I'm not talking about the starters. I think that's another thing that, you know, the questions, they kept saying starters. And it's like, I was, you know, Trey Young. Trey. Like, why wasn't he in the, why wasn't he in the game? You know I mean? And, and I, let's, let's, you know, stay, stick with Trey here. Obviously the, the Knicks fans had some fun with Trey during these first two games, chanting F you, um, you know, even a fan spit on him, which is unacceptable. But I thought everything else, you know, was was, was within playoff basketball. You knew that that's New York Knicks fans. I have no problem with that. I know, you know, you know, some some people might, but I have no problem with people's chanting FU. I have no problem with middle fingers. I have no problem with taunting. I think that's all unfair games. 
Uh, I think you don't bring your children to Madison Square Garden if you don't want them to see that because that's just part that's just part of the atmosphere. So you don't bring right. your kid to a Celtics game unless you want to hear this yeah. shit. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. part of the atmosphere. You know, you don't go to an Eagles game. You know, it's, it's a northern vibe. I'm just, <laughs> just saying. You don't do that in general. You just don't do that in general probably. Yes. So, uh. <laughs> so there's just some places where it's not really kid-friendly right. and, you know, going right. in there. So I really have no problem with that. The one, you know what I loved though, and 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 it really like it giddies me inside. Like it just makes me so happy whether we win this series or not. No matter what happens, is just the way Trey Young just embraces it. Like the way, like his competitive spirit. He showed up. He played two of his best games of the year on the biggest stage when the team needed him the most. He comes up. I mean, he's hitting his floaters left and right. Like you said, he was shooting the ball really well from behind the arc. Um, he's he's playing controlled. It's like. You'd think like this atmosphere, we talked about it uh, in the last episode, the possibility of this atmosphere being almost too much just because he wants it so bad. But the control that he's had in these games is what's really impressed me. Uh, he's, he's smiling at the fans. He's taking it, you know, and he's taking it and he's and he's talking his shit back. And it's been so refreshing to see. And and the guy, you can just, I've, I've always said this about Trey since we picked him, um, even going back to interviewing him when I was, you know, allowed to be in there before COVID, uh, that you could just there's some he has a chip on his shoulder. He's a killer. He's he's not afraid of any of this. Like he li- he love he's been waiting for this moment for so long. And to see him perform like that and talk his shit and back it up is just like I never want this man to leave. <laughs> I know we're like so far away from that from him even right. having that decision. But it's like I'm this guy needs to be a hawk for life because this is one of the true few killers in this city. And this basketball city has never really had that. I don't even know if Dominique was that as good as he was. I don't really think he had this same mindset. I mean, this is a true Kobe, you know, mindset where he he embraces all of it. He wants to show up on the biggest stage. Uh, I think Draymond uh, was tweeting about the games last night, and he's like, "I'm so glad the world's starting finally starting to fi- realize, figure out right. that, that Trey Young's the biggest shit talker in this league, and, and yeah. that he is, man. I mean, he carries a chip on his shoulder." He loves the game. He respects it, and but he loves this moment. He loves the fan interaction, and he played fantastically. And I just, I can't. I, I'm raving about it because it was just awesome to watch. Yeah. Awesome to have a guy on your team like that. Yeah. No. I mean, you said it. It's it, it's more than the Hawks. It's it's the city. Uh, this city's woes uh, in sports are very well documented, and uh, you know, it's, it's not a it's not a new thing that. You know, a lot of times Atlanta sports and Atlanta fans in general uh, tend to be scared of the big moment because, frankly, you know, as fans, we've been burned so many times. And as players, the teams have, have let us down. Uh, it's refreshing to have a situation. Of course, they, they dropped the game yesterday. I, I'm not, Nobody's perfect. However, it's refreshing to feel like in when the game's late and when it's in the big moment that you've got a guy who wants to be there and isn't just hoping that he gets out of it. I mean, I think Trey Young legitimately – wants to be in that environment whereas a lot of players may just be really happy they got out of there 1-1 um you said that about wanting to be a hawk for life you know of course i think he's the best he's one of the best if not the best uh things happen in the city other than of course the the young goat ronald acuna jr um you know those two guys man just just really uh come together to helpfully or hopefully bring some energy back to this fan base that hasn't had it in a while um man i mean trey young in the garden it doesn't get any better than that i'm sitting there I'm watching the game. I've got my, my brothers in there with me as well. Uh, as soon as the, the Hawks are a tied game, um, Derrick Rose hits the floater, and it kind of feels like, oh, it's Atlanta again. Dadgummit. 
And sure enough, you know, it goes to timeout and we're just kind of sitting there and, you know, we're talking and it's like, hey, what if Trey Young hits a game winner here? Like how insane would that be? And sure enough, what does he do? He goes down. It's one of the greatest shots in the history of Hawks playoff basketball. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's a freak. He's a freak. And there's nothing else to be said about him other than he's answered every question and then some the Hawks fans may have had about him. Yeah, I think we can kind of transition into that game one since that was a lot more memorable. But I think <laughs> in, a, in a weird way, and this is this, – see, like I obviously was never a great athlete, but I feel like I can't – like in those moments, like I always wanted – like, you know, the game get tied – and I, and I played baseball. Like I wanted to come up, you know, with the game tied instead of up one. Cause I want to hit a walk off Homer. And I almost feel like Trey Young, <laughs> I, it might be selfish, but you know, I almost feel like Trey Young was happy. Derek Rose made that basket. So he could have the last shot to make it. I just think he's that big of a psychopath. I think he wants it. He, he wants that. He wanted it in Madison square garden. He wanted it to end that way. And he took advantage of the moment and then bring it on Frank Nic- Nicoltina. Uh, you know, who hasn't played the whole game was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. The guy like was still in his warm. The guy was still in his warm up suits, and they're like, "Go drop, go guard Trey Young." Like, yeah, right. You're he on was crack. walking to the locker room. He was walking to the locker room thinking the game was about to be over, and yeah. <laughs> and they tell him to get in the game. <laughs> and they tell him to get in the game to guard Trey Young. Yeah, and oh, and if you mess this up, trust me, you know you're gonna get absolutely raided by new crazy New Yorkers. So oh, I feel I feel bad for that guy. I mean, there's no reason. Like, I don't care what they <laughs> I don't care what the analytics say. Like this guy's the best defender on your team. Like you got to get someone warm. You got to get a warm body in there for that moment. I just thought it was so stupid to bring in a guy who hasn't played the whole game to try to guard him, but you know, good for us. And I mean, he got, it was crossover cross back. Oh, where are your draws? Like he's gone. And mm-hmm. once you, once, once you saw him get uh, in the lane there, I mean, you know, that floater's coming and he's just got, he's just so good at that shot. And, and I knew he was going to make it. I think he knew he was going to make it. And, you know, it's it was quiet as fuck in there, as you say. <laughs> no, you know, the thing about that final play, and, and it actually is a, a difference between game one and game two uh, in terms of the Knicks strategy. Uh, throughout all of game one, it felt like Knicks strategy was uh, don't let anybody but Trey beat us. So, you know, they, they were letting him get to the lane. He was getting where he wanted to go. And in game two, of course, he still did. But it felt like they made a little more concerted effort to cut him off on screens and not let him get in the lane and get going every once in a while. Um, but they technically brought a double team when Taj Gibson came up there really late. Uh, but yeah. I just cannot imagine, uh, that they drew it up and the purpose was to put Frank on an Island with the best player on the court that night. Um, if they did, they lost the game because of it. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what they were doing there, but again, exactly like you said, I mean, Hawks fans haven't had that kind of player in, in a real long time. And, uh, he goes in there and he makes play as soon as, soon as he broke the lane, I think as soon as he broke the three point line and is driving downhill. I think everybody yeah. and their mother knew he was he was going up for that shot, and it, it felt it felt right. I mean, that shot's been going for him recently. He struggled with it at the beginning of the year, but man, when he gets that floater going, it's uh, it, it's something to watch. It's something uh, something impressive. So, yeah, yeah. And then another good aspect, really, um, over the first three halves of this series has been the Hawks' defense on Julius Randle. We kind of talked about like what they would do with him. I think they've started with Hunter. They've gone to Gallo quite a bit, which I was a little shocking, yeah. and he's and he's done pretty well. He's um, a lot better than I would have thought. <laughs> yeah, I really wouldn't have expected that, but he's done very well. Um, and really, I mean, I, I mean, Randall went off in that second half, and really was you know the engine that started that. Uh, so hopefully that doesn't carry over. But I think the Hawks have done a really really good job on Randall. Um, I think I like the mix of players they've come. They brought Capella unhelped pretty much every time. 
I think that's kind of why the Knicks have had such a good, been so effective on offensive rebounding because Capella's sure. helping a little too much. Sure. So I do wonder, I would do wonder, you know, I know that's kind of their pick, their version of pick your poison. Like, you know, you got to bring help, you know, Randall's going to beat your guy or we're going to grab an offensive rebound. So I wonder kind of they, you know, make any adjustments in that area. Maybe Capella doesn't help as much or maybe not as, you know, blatantly, you know, maybe only if it's at the last second. Um, but we'll see how that, but I think, you know, they've handled Randall well. And if they do that at home, I mean, I think, I think the Hawks are going to have a lot better, a lot better offensive energy, offensive flow at home than they did on the road. I think you'll see a lot of guys knocking down shots. You know, I think a Gallo probably is going to be exponentially better at home than he was on the road. And that's usually how it works. I mean, especially considering, you know, these guys haven't played in fan, in front of fans really all year. So right. going into going into a packed MSG house for their first playoff game in eight years. I mean, that's, that's like the biggest stage ever. And they haven't played in fans for a whole year, really. So, uh, so it's, I think it's, that's harder than people make it out to be. And I think it's going to be harder on the Knicks than they expect. Um, the only thing I'm worried about is I just hope Hawks fans show out for this team because they deserve it. Yeah. Uh, speak, uh, so we talked about it a little bit last time before the thing, but I ended up did uh, did secure a couple tips. I'll be there uh, in the fortress tomorrow night. Um, Hell yeah. I have a, uh, I have a good perspective on what the, what the Knicks Hawks uh, ratio is in there. I think it's possible. I mean, you go on Ticketmaster right now, you go on wherever there, there's a good bit of resale tickets available. I think there will be names in there being don't have a pretty decent showing. Um, however, I feel pretty confident that the energy in this city and how much this uh, the city is rallying is going to be, you know, a, a pretty decent crowd. I'm telling you, as cool as the shot was, as cool as the game winning shot that Trey Young uh, was, just perspective of a player, him after the game last night, uh, throwing up the A and telling them we'll see you in the A was was one of the cooler. Uh, that I can remember from an Atlanta sports player. It gave you confidence. Atlanta's not synonymous with winning at all. We know this. But somehow in that moment, I think Hawks fans felt a little bit of confidence about them being in Atlanta. And uh, I don't know, man. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. I think the Hawks fans are going to pack it out. I think they're screaming, yell. Uh, I'm, I'm disappointed that Julius Randle has so many syllables in his name because there's probably not a great chant they can put together for him. But uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's going to be so fun. I'm just so mad that I'm going out of town tomorrow for the weekend, or I'd be at both games in a second. Uh, I think it's going to be an absolute madhouse. I think, I really think this is a team that the city of Atlanta can kind of, uh, you know, wrap their arms around. I don't think there's been a, you know, a lot of Atlanta Hawks teams that you can say that about. So I kind of understood why, you know, Bulls fans and Celtics fans kind of flooded Phillips Arena during those playoff games. Cause, you know, we really didn't have a chance in those series and, you know, we weren't really yeah. playing exciting basketball. Uh, this team's a team that I think people can embrace. I think people can embrace a star like Trey Young. I mean, I get giddy watching Trey Young, and I think he's going to come out there and perform very, very well in these games three and four. And I think the Knicks are going to have to play an unbelievable, unbelievable game of basketball if they want to uh, keep up with the Hawks in both of these games. I think they're going to have to play absolutely perfectly to win just one of these games because I think the Hawks are going to they're going to have that crowd behind them and I think people also forget how much home court advantage helps in the playoffs I think people realize it after the first round but the NBA is a home court league I mean it is a a lot of people get waxed on like on the road and I don't imagine uh, the Knicks will be able to keep up with the Hawks offensively so I'm really excited I think it's going to be great for the city I think no one's more pit. You know, I had a terrible taste 
in my mouth after game two. I think we all did. But you know who has the worst taste in their mouth? All those players. I mean, they're ready to get on the floor tonight right. and play with nobody right. watching. So, uh, you know, they, right. they're, they're going to be ready. And, and I think that energy is going to really help them. And yeah, I, I'm jealous that you're going to be there because I really do think it's going to be a fun one tomorrow. And I think Trey Young's going to be absolutely great. And I, it's, I think this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, and this was also a popular topic, was, you know, John Collins. He goes out obviously in foul trouble, but still zero points. You, you never like to see that. And even he had a good first half in the first game, but I, I don't even think he had a point in the second half. And, and we're talking max contract here with him. I, I think that pretty much goes out the window uh, just with these games. And, and maybe he comes out and has, you know, 30 points, 20 points, 30 points the next three games. And we <laughs> right, can, yeah, that'd be a good time. But it just, I just don't see that happening. Um, I think yeah. he's a clear, I think he's a clear third option on this team behind Trey and Bogey. And uh, I just don't see how really anyone could give him a max contract, but I'm even starting to think that $90 million he turned down, that might even be a little pricey. So uh, I, what, what do you think about that? I am a, uh, I'm a well-documented John Collins stand uh, <laughs> since I, uh, you know, been, been, you know, doing this for the, doing this with y'all and talking about the Hawks and everything. Um, I tweeted in the first half, I tweeted a gif of a bunch of money and, you know, I was pretty pumped for John. I thought he had a really impressive showing. I think he just kind of gets forgotten about in the offense. Um, I don't know how much of it's scheme. I don't know how much of it is just Trey Young and Bogdanovich and, you know, them just really kind of getting in their rhythm and getting their shots up. But ultimately, with the current makeup of the Hawks, it's it's definitely fair to argue and it's definitely fair to say that John Collins may not be a, uh, a max contract level player for this team. I think he can go and make somebody really happy. I think John Collins absolutely can be a, a, a really uh, a really good player in this league and, and be your number two guy on offense on a good team. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it is definitely fair to raise those questions of fit with him right now, um, especially when, again, I know he only played 15 minutes. It, it wasn't a great, but again, he's played 50 minutes now overall total. And, uh, you know, between the two games, and I mean, like you said, he, he hadn't scored in, uh, in three halves of basketball in the playoffs. He got really foul happy, and it wasn't the rest's fault. Those those were fouls. I think some people were trying to jump on, but oh, you know, they they just got it. Like, he committed the fouls, and that's part of basketball. You you can't get out there and be foul happy like that. So, no, I mean, yeah. it, it's definitely uh, my my John Collins being the X factor so far. Um, <laughs> not looking like a great take so far, but uh, but yeah, it's fair to raise those questions. I think they'll still pay him ultimately because uh, you don't want to see him walk for nothing. Um, but, uh, but you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not crazy to think that he might be moved next year or the year after. Yeah. I mean, I think you could even make the argument that in this series, he's been the fourth option on offense, not, you know, yeah. I, I know Gallo hasn't played well, but like Gallo has been way more involved in the offense than, than John Collins. And it hasn't even been really close. I mean, he's taken probably triple the amount of shots. I don't, I mean, I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, and maybe we shouldn't want that because he hasn't been playing well. He hasn't been making any of those. Right. But I mean, he's really, I mean, yeah, Collins has kind of just fallen, fallen really like by the wayside. I, I mean, you just almost don't even notice he's on the floor and obviously he only played 15 minutes, but yeah, I mean, he hasn't scored in three halves. Uh, you just kind of wonder it. And I think he could bounce back. I do think he is a really oh, good player. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to take anything away from what he's accomplished, what I think he can be, what I think he is. I think he's a great player and a possible all-star caliber player. I just think when you watch this team in the playoffs and, and I think the Hawks will advance past this, so we'll have more data 
from the next round too. And maybe, maybe it's a bad matchup from who knows. Right. But I think when you watch, when you watch, uh, when you watch so far, I mean, I don't think you can, he's definitely losing some money out there at, with these t- past two games and, and hopefully he can turn it around in this series and moving forward. But I just think it's a, something that you, you have to kind of notice. You have to kind of talk about. Um, and, and you look at the position at the power four position, uh, you have a Kongu who you think is going to be a much bigger part next year. You have, Gallinari, you know, locked in for at least one more year, and he has like I think a five million dollar buyout in the next year. And you kind of like, you know, are those two guys going to be the guys? And maybe you spend your money elsewhere. Uh, you could move Gallinari always, but I just think the Hawks have some decisions at that position. Um, and I think, right. I think I tweeted it out. You know, I don't really love the free agent class coming up. I know we're getting into the off season outside of Kawhi Leonard, and he's not coming to the Hawks. So let's just let's just get that out of the way. He's not coming to Atlanta. So uh, I think the Hawks are going to be very big in the trade market. I think that's where their moves are going to come. And I think they have so many pieces that they kind of have to make a pretty big, substantial trade. I mean, when Cam Reddish comes back, uh, you still have Herter, Hunter, Gallinari. You have all these pieces. There's really too many of them, especially with a, if a Kongu comes and becomes a big piece next year. So I do think they're going to be you know, more active in the trade market. And, I, and that's not really a conversation I wanted to get into, but that's just <laughs> yeah, kind yeah, of... Yeah. That's just kind of what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about John Collins and how he's playing. And, you know, he's going to want big money, whether he has a good series or not this year. I think it's definitely, you know, I think it's definitely fair to, to look at what's happening in the series and in the playoffs in general with a broad, uh, you know, with a, with a real zoomed out lens. Uh, you know, maybe there are some Hawks fans that, uh, that won't agree with me on this, but unfortunately the Hawks, probably aren't winning the championship this year. I think that's pretty safe to say. So, therefore, a lot of what you're gaining as a fan, uh, you know, right now and what you're looking at is about the future and it's about the team building the, uh, uh, for the future. Um, I think that's what makes Trey Young and what he's doing so incredible because, you know, again, he's really reinforcing that he can be that that uh, that first uh, option on a, on a pretty deep playoff run kind of team. But, yeah, no, I think it's fair to raise those questions, John, without a doubt. He's, uh, he's, he's not been great. Uh, here's to hoping that he uh, that, that he continue, or that he picks it up and uh, you know makes both of us feel a lot differently after game three. Yeah, I mean you you have to think if he if he picks it up over these next two or three games, you know the Hawks can win these easily. I mean you think where I mean this is a guy who's averaging twenty and ten over the last two years, and he's playing like a a role player at best in the first two right. games. So you think he can pick that up and maybe you know getting back home a little more comfortable you know, he plays better. I mean, you know, role players, guys, you know, guys play better at home than they do on the road in the playoffs. You know, that's a well-known fact. But looking forward in this series, um, before we, you know, kind of wrap things up, uh, you know, are there any adjustments? Uh, I know we've we've talked about a few, but th- that you're really looking for, that you're looking for over these next, let's say these next two games uh, at home that you, that you hope to see. Yeah, uh, you know, I think one adjustment Nate should do or should make is to tell his guys to uh, to make open shots. Um, <laughs> I think that's one for sure. Help. But no, I mean, they're generating good looks offensively. Uh, you know, in the first game, they, they get out there and they post a 115 offensive rating. Um, that's that's solid. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty solid mark. And, you know, they got out there, they got buckets. They didn't have to win the game. Uh, defensively, they didn't play great in that one. But, uh, but obviously, they, they came out with the win. And this past one, they played better defensively. Um, and then they turn around and they post, uh, they post a 92 offensive rating, uh, offense rating, of course, points per hundred possessions. But mm-hmm. anyways, um, you know, they generated, I was looking at, and I'm, I'm, this is going to be bad because I'm trying to look at my paper right now as I'm doing this, but the Hawks ended up in the last game, they generated 21 
21 wide open threes. Um, wide open threes being as long as they had more than um, as long as they had more than six feet of space from the other defender. Uh, so they got good looks and they just didn't knock them down. They hit nine of those, by the way. They hit nine out of 21 of those. Uh, basically, you know, just wide open three. So um, I think moving forward, uh, you know, you got to expect that a guy like Gallinari comes home, he finds a shot. You got to expect Bogdanovich to get back to the guy we knew and loved. Um, and, and yeah, uh, you know, I want to get some something involved more inside. The Hawks have been really relying on the jumper in this series. Uh, no they, other than Trey Young's floater, there hasn't been a whole lot of paint presence for, for anybody. Click Capella, I think he's had what? Uh, off the top of my head, let me actually I can look at real quick. I think he had four he's points. Had, yeah, he's had twelve point. shot attempts. Yeah, he's yeah. had twelve shot attempts in two games. So uh, they got to put pressure on the rim because because uh, ultimately you can't expect three point shooting. Three point shooting is going to come and go. That's that's the nature of basketball. So if they want to live and die by it, by all means. But if you uh, if you're going to do that, then then you better knock down your shots because otherwise stuff like yesterday happens when you score ninety something, ninety two points, and you and you lose a game to a team that barely broke a hundred. Yeah, I think one of your points is going to be one of my adjustments. I definitely think on both ends of the floor, they've got to be stronger in the paint. Um, they've got to figure out a way to stop guys from Dodge Gibson from grabbing offensive rebounds and stuff like that. I think another thing. I th- yeah, I think another thing. Um, I think they have to do a better job of defending D- Derrick Rose. He's basically been getting everything that everything he wanted once, especially in the first half. Some of those shots he was making late in the last game were just tough shots, and you'll take those. But I think they yeah. got to do. They got to come up with a better plan to defend Derrick Rose. Um, and then I think we talked about Nate McMillan's adjustments. Obviously, we want guys like Trey and Bogey to play, you know, closer to forty minutes a game, if not over forty minutes a game, especially as this series goes to five, six, seven. But uh, I think staggering. I think staggering some of these guys. I mean, yeah, I, you have. To, I think you have to stagger Trey and Bogey because Bogey's your second best playmaker. Uh, you know, Lou Williams is a point guard, but Bogey's a much better playmaker. He's much better, you know, running an efficient offense. I think you got to stagger those guys, uh, you know, whether it's take Bogey out at the six-minute mark, let Trey play most of the fourth quarter, and then put, you know, Bogey in at the end of the first quarter, whatever it is. I think you got to stagger those guys. And, and that, I feel like they did that a lot during during the regular season. I've been kind of shocked yeah. that they haven't done it very much. Uh, so I, I think that's something that – I actually think that's something we will see if we don't see it. I'll be a little worried because it's just like it's it's a very vanilla. It's been a very vanilla coaching so far. It's been very like, like first re- team, sec- yeah. second team, thirty five minutes, like nothing, no no real changes. I think he's made some good, you know, game game plans. Like I think he's had some good game plans Definitely. for the next against Julius Randle and stuff. But I think he's kind of stuck too much to the book and not you know really felt you know the vibe of what the team needs and situation so that's something i'm going to be looking forward to but i think staggering them you know figuring out a way to be better in the plane i think you gotta develop more rim runs for john collins and clint capella that's been totally obsolete and good job for by the knicks i'm sure it's not for no reason but i think they've got to find a way to get those guys going and get some energy in that building because you know how much those alley-oops can change can change the feel in that building so get in some trey young clint capella rim runs uh that'll get the team going and if they do that, uh, I think they'll they'll come away with two wins this week. Uh, and the last thing I'll ask you is, uh, you know, you got you have any you, you picked Hawks and six. I obviously went Hawks and five, but I was really doing that, you know, because because y'all both picked Hawks and six, and I, <laughs> I, I felt I felt like I was the most confident of the bunch, so I went with right. five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you wavering there. You still feel Hawks and six is the way this goes. 
Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. Uh, I, I'll say yesterday, despite the loss, made me more confident. Uh, the Hawks have been the better team through three halves. Uh, they had one really tough shooting stretch, and that ultimately is what this has come down to. Um, I feel extremely confident in guys like Bogdanovich and Gallinari to find their shots from here on out. I think the Hawks take both at home. Uh, you know, maybe your Hawks in five uh, d- d- does come to fruition ah, if they can pull that off because it'd be tough for the Knicks even down down 3-1 in the garden. I mean, it, with a young team like that. So, yeah, I'm not I wavering. feel good. I'm sticking with I Hawks in five. I'm sticking with Hawks go. in five. I'm not going to Hawks in six. Uh, I thought there was I a think, good chance they swept the series if they won yesterday. And uh, I think if you can if you can win these two games at home, which I think the Hawks should be sig- have a significant advantage in, uh, like you said, I think there's going to be – I just don't know how you get up for a game. I don't know. I, I don't I don't really know how that game goes. It could go one of two ways. You know, they play balls to the wall or they could come in and lay down like a dog. Uh, it's tough for me to see right. a Thibodeau team lay down like a dog, but I just still – I just think they're outmatched on like on paper from a talent perspective. So, you know, if the Hawks come out and go 57-44 or even, you know, go up 10, 7, 8 in that first half at Madison Square Garden and they're up 3-1, I mean, that's that's when you start seeing teams lay down. You know, do they really want to? You know, is there is is it even worth it? You know, they're going to battle battle this out. Uh, so I think uh, I think they're they're in a good position. I they should take both of these at home. If they split it, I still feel confident. But if they split it, it's definitely going to be like, damn, this is a series, and we'll probably be back next week and have some stuff to talk about. Definitely, definitely. I, I will say, I think uh, I think the Hawks need to do everything they can to avoid that game seven in the Garden. I'm not saying they couldn't pull it out. Yeah. But, oh no. Uh, I, as a Hawks fan, as a Hawks fan, I think uh, you'd be having some serious heart palpitations going into that one. So uh, here's hoping that thing gets uh, gets closed out a little bit before then. Yeah, and as you should, you know, a game seven it should always bring out the jitters in every in every real fan. But I will say one thing: if that does happen, I don't want it to happen. It's going to be tough as hell. That place would be rocking like nobody's business. But it would be so fun to watch Trey Young perform in that situation. It would be a blast. We would have a me and you would get on. We would have a blast on the pod. We'd be writing everything. It'd, yeah, it'd be a great time. So it'd, be, it, it'd be a great time. It would be fun. I mean, I think this series already just being one-one, the kind of villain, the Trey Young versus New York has just been such a good storyline. And I think the it's villain storyline. Yeah, yeah. If 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 Trey Young, if let's say the Knicks, I don't really love their roster. They're definitely outperforming the talent on their roster. I don't think anyone's going to deny that. Right. But I, but I do think, you know, they could have something special brewing here with the, the their defensive mindset, Thibodeau, the culture they've established here. I think that's legit. Julius Randle, I think, is a legit legitimate all-star. And I think they're, they're definitely a free agent destination. I don't know how anybody would watch that this series in MSG and not think, damn, that would be cool to play for a passionate-ass fan base like that in New York City where my brand can grow 10 times. So I do think they can get some free agents up there, and they they will be, you know, a playoff team moving forward. Uh, you know, I mean, you talk about a team that could land a Kawhi Leonard. I mean, I know he likes to stay out 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 west, but the Clippers don't look too hot, and the Knicks, you know, that, that might interest them. So, I mean, this could be a rival in the making for a long time Yeah, uh, with, the, with the Knicks and Trey Young. So I, I think that's – I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome as long as we can stop – having people spit on them and act like children, you know, this whole thing has been absolutely fun as hell to watch. And I couldn't, I couldn't be happier with, you know, the first playoff series in the first four years. I absolutely 100% agree. Uh, you know, you said that about the environment and about New York. Uh, how about the fact that, that there are more Knicks fans, there are more New Yorkers that are excited 
about the Knicks winning one game in the playoffs than will be if the Nets win the finals. Uh, it's just yeah. fun. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun watching your favorite team go to Madison Square Garden, get a win, play another good game. Um, yeah. yeah, I think these teams are going to play together a lot, and Trey Young's going to make a, a lot of New Yorkers uh, really miserable over the next 10 years. So I'm looking forward to watching them continue to rip their hearts out. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I'm so pumped uh, for this weekend, and I'm <laughs> I'm so jealous of you for being able to go. Uh, you should go to both if you can. But uh, that wraps up our second episode. I don't of know if that's Talk. in the budget now, Chase. I, I, I don't know if I got that. <laughs> <laughs> Those well, things are going to well, be, it, especially when the if the Hawks pull it off tomorrow, that's going to be a pretty penny to be able to go on Sunday. But uh, yeah, especially yeah, if you we'll want a decent that. ticket. Yeah, but. Yeah, I mean, have fun tomorrow. And that wraps up our second episode of Squawk Talk. Um, we'll be back next week, hopefully, to congratulate our Hawks uh, with a series win. Um, but until then, you know, go Hawks, and we'll see you next